Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MindBeat Podcast. I'm Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm Lane Whitaker. I'm a Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. Lane, how's it going today? It's going uh, really well, I have to say. I, uh, Yeah, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> I'm feeling good. How about you? Uh, well, as you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. But, yeah. uh, so, uh, and I realize the only times I ever get sick is when I actually travel more than six hours on a plane. And that's kind of what happened here. So do you think it's a virus or like the conditions on the plane? Is it cold on these trans, you know, uh, continental flights? I think it's, I think it's, I think it's head cold. No, it's not COVID. Yeah. So I tested for COVID, but you know, I think it's just the head cold kind of going around. So I was trying to figure out today, like, is it maybe allergy or is it just kind of head cold? But I think when you get on a plane, like, especially one of those 787 wide bodies that fly cross country and there's 400 other people on there, chances are that one of those 400 people in a contained environment has something that you don't want to get. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a, that's what happened here. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's like I do plenty of short plane trips that are like an hour or two hours and I never get sick, but somehow four hours, five hours, six hours, it's like my immune system can hold up for like three hours. And then it just kind of, you know, breaks down kind of at that point. Yeah, just being subjected to it for that long. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, we so, hope you feel better. Yeah, we've got yeah. a great episode today. Dr. Alana Nikin, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Breathe for Change, is going to be with us. Uh, so she's going to talk about her really amazing, impactful organization and everything that that uh, that they're about. And uh, I know that you 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 have some familiarity with Alana's organization, and yeah. uh, I know you're you've got to be excited for this conversation. Today. I am. I'm a yoga enthusiast, big time, since 2012. So I have so many questions to ask. I'm really excited to hear from her. Awesome, awesome. That's great. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump right into it? We'll get started today with our top three. You want to take it away? Yes, top three today is our top three ways to improve sleep routines. So there are so many more than three, but if I have to highlight three, I'm going to say number one, for for me anyway, I really like to, my body is triggered into sleep mode when I take like a, a hot shower or a bath, if I can really do a bath, or even if there's like a hot tub situation if I'm on vacation or something, uh, that just kind of triggers my body into sleepy time that, you know, I've, I've been practicing that ritual for so many years or decades that my body knows as soon as I have that hot shower at nighttime, like it's just starting to get me ready for bed. So to come up with something, if it's not a, a hot shower or something, maybe it's, um, 
you know, some other, you know, maybe you're starting to dim the lights. Maybe you're starting to do something to trigger your brain that it's about to be sleepy time. Maybe you're talking in a lower voice now uh, or you're doing some type of self-care routine activity before you go to bed. For me, like I said, it's like a hot shower or a bath. Uh, second, we are so addicted to our phones. It's extremely stimulating to the parts of our brain that really need rest. So those blue lights, uh, just as well as our brain is so activated when we're on technology. So I recommend turning off technology phones, TV, any type of bright lights for about an hour before bed. And then um, finally, I would say just, you know, making sure that you have a comfortable bed, that you have comfortable pillows, that everything is snuggly and cozy <laughs> so that it's it feels great to get in the bed. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm actually going to swap that one out for no caffeine or uh, alcohol before bed. I think a lot of people think having that nightcap will really help you sleep better, but more and more studies show that uh, alcohol will really disrupt your sleep, actually, even if it makes you initially tired, that in the long term, it can be very disruptive to sleep patterns. Uh, so I would actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swap that one out. And I would just say, you may want to, if you're of a certain age, eliminate liquids altogether before bed, <laughs> maybe an hour right, or so right, before right. bed, because you might get into a great sleep and then be woken up by having to use the, the restroom. And then it's very difficult for people to fall asleep uh, after that. So I would say just avoid liquids in general, you know, an hour or so Got before it. bed. Blaine, do you call your bathroom in your home the restroom? What's your policy? Oh, well, you know why I was saying restroom to kind of, you know, encompass all genders. And <laughs> because yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say the ladies room, the bathroom, I don't know, but you know. <laughs> so, so I've got, I've got, I, I appreciate your top three. I've got a bunch of like follow-up questions here. Oh. So, so like, what, what's your over under on caffeine consumption from a time standpoint? It's like 2 PM. Like you'll have your last cup of coffee before, like what, what, uh, what's the time after which no caffeine? That's a great question. I think when I was younger, it didn't matter. I could have caffeine, you know, I don't drink soda, but I could have coffee after dinner or something and be fine, sleep like a baby. Now, not so much. I notice as I'm getting older and more sensitive. So I would probably cut it off by about four o'clock. Um, yeah, I would probably cut it off about four o'clock if I want to sleep well that night. Got How about it. you? Do you are it. you caffeine sensitive too or no? I, I am. And I've, I've noticed that like when I when I had, if you're looking at video, I've got my giant, you know, venti iced Americano from Starbucks. I usually have one. Sometimes I will do a second one after lunch, mm -hmm. which is usually a bad idea. And so I found anything after about three o'clock is like, you know, no, you know, no, no good for for sleeping kind of that night. Now, now your pillow question was also interesting. What's your pillow configuration? Are you one pillow, two pillows, hard pillow, soft pillow? What do you what do you got there? So I do. I like I like I have one of those bamboo pillows, which is really cool. It's like memory foam and bamboo, I guess. So I do like it a little firmer because I'm noticing my neck needs a lot more support as I age. <laughs> um, okay. But I do like to have two. I like to have two if I'm like leaning up in my bed, reading a book or watching TV. I like to lean up against two. But when I sleep, I really only can have one because if it's too gotcha. high, my neck has to kind of strain. And then at this age, you wake up and you feel like you've been beat up and it's the pillow. So <laughs> so I try to avoid that. Um I would also say about the the coffee thing that I find that that four o'clock coffee is good because that keeps me from taking a nap at like five, six, yeah, seven o'clock. Yeah, yeah. That's another yeah, which killer. Totally will mess you messes up, right? you so. up big time. Like you're so tired from your work day or whatever happened during the day that you're like, oh, just a little nap. And then I cannot sleep if especially if I fall asleep, like after seven, you wake up at eight, nine. It's a wrap. You're going to be up till three in the morning. Sure. <laughs> so. Right. Right. <laughs> 
Got so it. if I have that Got four it. o'clock coffee, it gets me over that hump of not needing a nap. So I'm sufficiently tired for bed. Yeah, these are the big decisions we have to make every day. So uh, especially yeah, as you we'll get older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm much more aware of these things now. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we jump into in the news? In the news. I've got our I've got our in the news segment for today and uh, our, our new segment uh, news article, which, you know, as always, we'll, we'll kind of post along with the link to the Mind Me podcast is from NPR. It's entitled Recovery High Schools Help Kids Heal from an Addiction and Build a Future. This is a great, great article about a charter school in Denver that is actually a high school, but, reco- you know, doubles as a recovery school uh, for students who have substance abuse challenges. And it really kind of goes through. Uh, their model, which kind of uh, involves both academic support, but of course, uh, substance abuse support, mental health support, uh, behavioral uh, uh, support. And there's a lot of like really, uh, you know, impactful and touching case studies in here of students who have, uh, you know, dealt dealt kind of with this. Now, you know, one of the uh, or students who have benefited from this, one of the real challenges, though, is that the cost per care is a lot higher. The cost per care is generally about $25,000 uh, per student per year, and a normal high school is only about fifteen thousand dollars per student per year. So, as a charter, they're getting money from Denver Public Schools and other other public school districts, but they're having to make up kind of the balance of the funds with donors who are you know kind enough and mission driven enough to uh, you know donate to to kind of this uh, very very worthy cause. So, again, we'll we'll post the article kind of up online, but really interesting to hear about you know organizations like this. Absolutely, I agree. That's cool. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Well, why don't we move on over to our interview with uh, Alana Nankin? Let's do it. We're so excited to have Dr. Alana Nankin with us. She's the founder and CEO of Breathe for Change. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, teacher, educator, and former public school teacher committed to using wellness as a vehicle for healing and social change. She earned degrees in both psychology and education at UC Berkeley and received her PhD in curriculum and instruction at University of Wisconsin. Alana founded Breathe for Change, a movement on a mission to enhance the health and well-being of educators, students, and entire communities. Breathe for Change offers the world's only 200-hour wellness, SEL, and yoga teacher training specifically for educators and provides wellness and SEL, professional development for schools, districts, and organizations. Alana, we are so happy to have you here. I've been aware of uh, Breathe for Change for quite some time, and so it is quite an honor to have you here uh, to be able to pick your brain about this amazing endeavor that you've started. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, I couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of this. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, Alana, we're, we're so excited. Maybe we could start off with the origin story behind, you know, Breathe for Change. What inspired you to kind of begin this endeavor? And what are some of the central themes behind what you're trying to accomplish? All right. So this all goes way, way, way back to when I first started teaching. So I started teaching after I graduated from UC Berkeley as a pre-K teacher in San Francisco Unified School District. I was teaching at a Spanish dual immersion school in the district. And when I was teaching, I loved it more than life, but I was so stressed. I was overwhelmed. I was overworked like most of us are. And that's when I first found yoga and meditation. And these practices just completely transformed my life and my well-being so much so that I started integrating so many of the practices into my classroom with my kids. And I just saw 
incredible. And I mean, incredible transformations in them, both social, emotionally, but then also academically. And I was like, hold on, wait a second world. There is something going on here that needs to be further explored. So I ended up pursuing my PhD in curriculum and instruction and becoming a teacher educator at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And for my dissertation, I followed a bunch of educators that I was training into diverse classrooms all over the country and world. And specifically, I was looking at how they would take up their ideals of social justice and action in their teaching. And what I ended up finding was that across the board, these educators who wanted to be in the profession for life were so stressed, they were overwhelmed, they were burning out, and this was pre-pandemic. So let's be honest, that problem has only significantly increased. And I was just seeing how the negative cycle of well-being was deeply impacting their ability to teach and fulfill on their intentions for social justice and equity and all of the things. And as I was seeing how universal the issue of educator stress and burnout was through my research, and I knew it through my own experience as a teacher, I simultaneously had just graduated from my 200-hour yoga teacher certification program. And the educators I was working with at the time found out that I was a you know certified yoga teacher. They thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So they rented out space in the student union for me to teach them yoga in addition to my education courses. And one thing led to the next, like day after day, these educators would come up to me and they were working in diverse classrooms all over the city and beyond. And they'd say things like, you know, Ilana, I, the kids who normally have anxiety attacks before tests are utilizing these breathing techniques that you taught us and their test scores are improving. Or, you know, the students who are, are experiencing so much trauma in the home are learning how to breathe and move and regulate their bodies and, and everything is getting better. And so I was like, I see how universal the issue of educator stress and burnout is. And I also see how powerful these wellness and social emotional learning and mindfulness and yoga practices can truly be for both educators and students' lives. Like nothing is going to stop me. I'm starting a movement. It's going to enhance the health and well-being of our amazing educators, students, and entire school communities. And that's when Breathe for Change was born. So That was, it's so wild to think that it was over eight years ago in the beginning of 2015. And I'm kind of a go big or go home kind of person. So I was like, I'm not going to like lead a one hour PD or a two hour PD. We're going to like create like the most transformative life changing experience for educators. And so I set out to launch like the world's only 200 hour mindfulness SEL and yoga teacher training that's specifically for educators. So they get certified, not only as yoga teachers, that's the only yoga teacher program in the entire world. That's specifically for educators. They also get certified as social emotional learning facilitators, which, you know, equips them to be leaders of mindfulness and wellness and SEL in their entire community. So that year, it's so funny to look back at the story. I was like knocking on every educator's door that I knew in the entire world, like getting on phone calls, getting more no's than yeses. I was like, come to Madison for this like 200 hour thing that's never existed before. And that was, and to put things into perspective, it was like at that time, 16 days and eventually turned into 18 days, like from eight in the morning till seven at night, all day, every day. And 34 teachers said yes. And so It was 
absolutely life-changing. They went back to their schools and their communities and started mindfulness programs and integrated SEL strategies into all aspects of their instruction. And we're leading, you know, wellness PD and you name it, you know, starting yoga clubs for the kids. I mean, you name it, they were, they were doing it. And we were seeing incredible ripple effects of well-being in their communities. And so the next year we expanded to the Bay area where I'm from, I was like, got to bring it home and New York city and Sesame workshop hosted us. So when Elmo and big bird came and showed up to our training, I was like, that's when, you know, you got to keep growing. We're on. Right, right, right. Um, so we certified 185 educators through our 200 hour training the second year across three cities and then 600 across six cities and then 1100 across 11 cities. And then we had educators all over the country, just, you know, really being leaders and moving the conversations around SEL wellness and mindfulness forward in their school communities, their districts or organizations. And then the pandemic hit, right? So we were all in person up to that point, you know, I had hundreds of trainers leading trainings all over and we were training thousands of people each year. And then when the pandemic hit, we were in the middle of five trainings across the country and we immediately took those trainings online because we're like, we want to support the hundreds of educators right now that are dealing with this. I mean, at that point, we didn't even know what was happening. Like people thought we know we needed to like fight for toilet paper. And so like, and in schools, it was just wild. And so we're like, we have to be that community for these educators. And so we immediately, we didn't even question it. We took those people online, but then we decided to take a step back and our my entire team we're all over the country. We interviewed hundreds of educators and administrators and basically said, what do you need and how can we help? And it just became so clear that actually what we were already doing at Breathe for Change was addressing two of the most critical issues facing education, which is, you know, educator stress, retention, burnout, well-being, and then student social emotional learning and mental health. And so we decided to transition our 200 hour training into the online space to make it accessible to every educator all over the country and world. And now we have, we've since like total certified to over 10,000 educators through our 200 hour training across all 50 states, across multiple countries all over. Um, and we've also made more accessible trainings. You know, only so many people want to take the 200, like a 200 hour training. It's the best thing in the world. You really become a leader. And we're realizing that graduates of that want more. So we created a more advanced training beyond that. And we have, you know, shorter courses now and a membership that people can access daily live, you know, yoga classes and meditation show up to community with other educators. So we're so grateful for, just the incredible educators that are a part of our community and the work that we do. And it's love my life. So well, congrats a lot. It sounds like it, it sounds, I, I love you. have so many options for folks to kind of get involved, uh, regardless of how much time they, they have available. So it sounds incredibly impactful. Thank you. Yeah, you must be, um, it must be very gratifying to know the impact that you've had on all of these teachers and, and then their students that they impact. 
I will tell you that um, prior to being at ESS, this is actually many moons ago, but I worked with pregnant parenting teen moms. And after I discovered yoga myself in 2012, I decided my students have to have this because it made such a big impact on my mental health and wellness that I really wanted to introduce it to our students and our teen moms. And we did mommy and me yoga. We had these wonderful volunteers. And as resistant as the kids were to it in the beginning, the first day that the instructor said, I'm not going to be able to make it today, they all went nuts. They lost their minds and said, we need to have (laughs) yoga. And then they started to be more um, forthcoming about how much they are enjoying it. And and then you would see them use those techniques, like you said. So for you to then have teachers implementing that, I just love. I mean, I love the direct um, service we were able to provide to students. But now through the pandemic, I really see how dysregulated the adults are working with kids. And so for you to take this to the adults and by having a well-regulated, you know, mentally healthy teacher, you have a well-regulated classroom. So just kudos to you. I just think that's an amazing program. Um, I'm excited to learn more about it. So my next question then is you have sort of combined SEL with yoga, which I hadn't seen prior to Breathe for a Change. So you did speak about the relationship, but can you tell our viewers more about like you know, define SEL and the relationship between SEL and yoga in oh, this I love instance? Talking about oh, this. good, good. Um, well, at Breathe for Change, we actually to to build on what you just talked about, um, we tag on the F to SEL. Because if you look at that, that spells self and social emotional learning and facilitation. But we believe it's so critically important for us as educators and leaders and many of us as parents to embody the social emotional learning competencies and practices that we hope to teach our students. And so, you know, if you have a like in my dissertation, I would talk to educators every day and kind of check in with them. And some would be like, when I'm stressed, the students are stressed. Or when I'm in calm and collected, my students are calm and collected. So I just saw the critical connection between our own well-being and our students' well-being. And how yoga fits into all of this is what are the benefits of yoga? It calms the body. It relaxes the mind. It enhances energy. It allows you to be more focused. And in the context of schools, research shows that it increases academic performance because we're taking care of our social, emotional, and physical well-being, which is the problem right now, right? Our students, especially due to the collective trauma of the pandemic and all the other traumas that they face every single day and that we as educators face every single day, if we're not nurturing the whole of who we are and paying attention to our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health, and we're trying to teach math or literacy or any of those things, then they're not going to learn the math, the literacy, and the science. So the practice of yoga literally brings to life the social emotional learning competencies, right? Self-awareness. You're becoming more aware of your body. You're becoming more aware of the sensations. You're becoming more aware of your breath, the present moment, your present moment experience. So, and after, at least from our perspective, you know, in the way I teach, constantly asking my students, educators and young children or teens, you know, how do you feel? What do you notice is happening inside you right now? Those questions cultivate self-awareness, right? Which then... Once we're aware of how we feel, then it leads into the second social emotional learning competency of self-management, right? If you know that, oh, wow, that breathing practice or that mindful movement practice that I did 
in yoga or, you know, during the, you know, the settle in practice and in my classroom that helps me feel more relaxed and calm. Then later on when I'm feeling frustrated, upset, so sad, angry, then I can pause, be aware. Okay. I'm feeling this way. And then I can draw on these practices that help me regulate myself. So then we're increasing our self-management skills, right? So then that's two of the competencies. The other piece that I love about yoga as it relates to social emotional learning is that it also has like a very social benefit. So, you know, you're practicing this, you're moving your bodies together, you're breathing collectively, that all improves the relationships that are being built amongst students. They're they're forming bonds around it. There's ways, you know, we do partner poses and community poses and things that ultimately inspire human connection. And so we've found that in the context of the classroom, it serves as an incredible community builder, which ultimately has been shown to, you know, create a more positive classroom learning environment. And then social awareness, people not only become aware of their own internal uh, experience, but we're having conversations around how other how how this practice impacted other people that like enhances our our social awareness too and we recognize that what we might feel on one day like or in one moment might be different than what we feel in in another moment and all emotions are welcome and that allows people to feel like they're welcomed into the space they're included that there is a, a sense of belonging and that the last social emotional learning competency is uh, responsible decision making when we're regulated, when we're when we can breathe before we make reactive decisions, we make better decisions, both educators and students. And so I've seen huge transformations when it comes to responsible decision making, rather than you know slapping that kid who who uh, you know may have tried to pick a fight with you in class. Students are saying, "Wait, you know what? I need to take a deep breath first. And then I'm going to take a step away and I'm going to come back to this moment and maybe engage in nonviolent communication or something more productive. And, you know, educators too. I mean, we can get so stressed due to all the demands and just the the context that we're working in and living in. And so when we have these practices that we can draw on, it really does support us in being more responsive than reactive. And so I think they're absolutely connected. And uh, I don't see yoga and social emotional learning as two different things. I see that yoga is like a tool to foster social emotional learning outcomes that we want to see both in our educators and students. So a lot of this seems like such an emerging field right now. I mean, what's the state of the research right now in terms of the benefit, like the interrelationship between wellness, mindfulness, and different kind of more academically oriented outcomes, grades, discipline, attendance, and and kind of part two of that, have you guys done any direct kind of research on on kind of your your practices and and do you, do you see any, you know, kind of what, what positive impacts do you see on both educators and students as a result? Mm-hmm. Well, we're actually working on a major study right now, which I'm super pumped about. And we have done some research in the past, which I'll talk about. Um, there are many studies out there that demonstrate, you know, yoga programs or mindfulness interventions or, you know, incorporating meditation into the classroom does lead to improvements academically. And also, I think from a social emotional learning standpoint, they were, they found that it also learns or it, it translates to 
like a, a great return on investment of actual dollars spent um, when it comes to children's trajectory to college. And so we're definitely seeing in the research positive outcomes from whether you want to call it mindfulness or yoga or or wellness programs or meditations being incorporated into the classroom or into instruction. Um, there is, from our perspective in Brief for Change, we actually did, I, I have over 10,000 surveys that we've both quantitative and qualitative um, with quantitative and qualitative measures in there that have demonstrated the positive impacts. Those we didn't necessarily use. I wrote those surveys myself as a researcher, but we didn't use validated assessment tools that already exist. And so in 2020, we set out to start a validated research study, uh, which ironically, we launched it in Jan for our January cohort of 2020, which was going to graduate in May or June of 2020. So we were going to do a post or a pre-training assessment, a post-training assessment to ultimately measure all different sorts of, um, uh, of, of, you know, educator well-being, educator stress, you know, student outcomes, social, emotional learning, all these different components. And Right in the middle, what happened in March 2020? So what we were gonna, we were like, this is a major confounding variable that clearly is gonna impact all of the things that we're measuring, right? Educator well-being, burnout, stress, uh, student outcomes, all of the things that you would assume brief for change would be interested in measuring. And so at first I was like, we should cancel the study. And then I was like, you know what? We're continuing the training. Let's just do what we had set out to do. And we'll do the same post-training survey that literally is like a, essentially the same measures as the pre-training. And let's just see what happens as a curiosity, knowing the pandemic is going to put a little wrench in it. Right. So we did. And we actually ended up finding, shockingly, that amidst the pandemic, and all of the trauma that came with that, the educators that were in our training had increased well-being, decrease in stress, decrease in levels of burnout, increase in physical health, emotional health, social global health, like all of the things that we would have hoped to see if the pandemic wasn't there and there were no confounding variables actually happened even in the most traumatic time. And at the same time, there was tons of studies happening on educators that showed the exact opposite in just like society. You know, educators were clearly more stressed than ever. They were more burnt out than ever. They were overwhelmed, overworked. Students were more stressed than ever. And so we were just shocked that even despite this crazy thing that landed in all of our laps, the tools that we were teaching had such a dramatic impact that we still saw increases in well-being and decreases in the things that we would hope to see decreases in. So, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're that's what we saw, and then we're we're currently um, working with an organ a research organization that's supporting us in doing a uh, validated assessment to assess not only the impact of our training on educators' experiences, but also eventually we'll be able to 
get student outcome data that shows the ultimate impact on, you know, student, you know, the, the academic outcomes, the tension, all of the different things that we're measuring. So to understand truly the ripple effects in communities. That's great. No, thanks a lot for sharing that. So I'm curious, I, I, I've heard you say that there's thousands and thousands of teachers that you've trained now. Do you find many administrators joining this cohort as, you know, that trickle-down effect is very important? You really want to have the support of administration to really embed these practices into the daily routines of a school community. So are you finding administrators participating? Do you find there's a lot of administrator support for this? Uh, and what does that look like, the actual training for teachers? 200 hours is a lot of hours, and I imagine beyond the yoga uh, training oh, yeah. at 200 hours. There's got to be some additional training on that SEL model. And maybe you could tell us what some of the other elements of the training include. Absolutely. So there's tons of administrators that take our training and more and more. So we have principals, assistant principals, superintendents, I mean, central office people, um, you know, heads of education organizations, uh, nonprofits. So we're seeing more and more administrators. It's kind of starting to have like a bottom up effect where sometimes educators at a school, like an individual educator will find brief for change. They'll come, they'll be like, Oh my God, they go back to their school. They share with their administrator. Then their admin comes and takes it along with some other teachers. And we have like brief for change schools, essentially. Um, we're also seeing educator administrators who super prioritize social emotional learning or wellness or recognize that they need more tools to support their educators. They're finding Breathe for Change. They're taking our training and then they're bringing us back to do professional development for their entire staff or they're sending more teachers to our um, 200 hours so they can come, you know, have like a wellness committee or like really launch a social emotional learning approach in their school and so we're definitely seeing this all over. We've always had administrators, but now that we have way more people taking our trainings, we're seeing tons. We also offer specific webinars and um, workshops for administrators only so that they we can focus very specifically on the needs that they have, which are in many ways similar to educators, but also very different given their leadership roles. Um, in terms of the... Uh, what does our 200 hour consist of? So the yoga is integrated in with, it's like yoga meets meditation, meets social emotional learning, meets, uh, and when I say yoga, that's a huge word. Like I'm not just talking about the physical practice of yoga. What we know is like downward facing dog or child's pose. That is one of six components of our training. That's what we call asana, the physical practice. So they learn uh, how to design and ultimately sequence inclusive and trauma-informed yoga classes for both adults and young people. That's the asana component of training. The SELF or the social emotional learning component, they learn our eight components of SEL. So they learn settle in practices, breath awareness strategies, mindful movement, community connection, focus creative expression, relaxation, and closing. So they learn all these different practices that are differentiated for primary and secondary and adults. Um, and then they learn so they can teach those one off and integrate them into their instruction. They also learn to weave those eight components together to ultimately 
design and teach wellness workshops and professional development around SEL to their fellow educators or, or whoever in their community they want to share wellness experiences with. So that's the SEL component there. We have meditation too. So we, they learn how to meditate with their breath, their body, their emotions, and their thoughts, and ultimately how to guide others through meditation, including how to incorporate meditation into your actual curriculum and your instruction. Um, and then we, they learn yoga philosophy. So they learn the history of yoga, the ethical principles of yoga and how the ethical principles connect to their lives as educators and leaders. And then our whole, they also have an anatomy component. So they learn all about their bodies and, and how to build a healthier relationship with their bodies and how, you know, their body connects to, or anatomy connects to the physical practice of yoga. And then last but not least, we have our breathe for change workshops. So our whole training is grounded in our transformational curricular progression. So it starts with a focus on transformation of self. So this is where educators are really looking at how do I prioritize and sustain and focus on my own well-being. And then from that foundation of our own well-being, we move into transformation of relationships where our educators explore how do I show up fully and enhance well-being in all of my relationships, especially those that matter most to me. And then from there, we move into transformation of community. And this is why most educators come to Breathe for Change in the first place. This is where we're exploring, you know, how do we utilize wellness, SEL, mindfulness, yoga, all these beautiful practices as a vehicle for healing and social change in our communities. And then from there, we end training with integration and renewal where they're, you know, celebrating the incredible transformations that have unfolded and really preparing to step into their communities as leaders of this work. So that's sort of the stru structure and like the content. And then our trainings are now a combination. They're all digital, but it's a combination of like the most interactive, engaging live sessions on Zoom that you've probably ever experienced. I mean, we're practice teaching, we're engaging in courageous conversations, we're they're building friendships that last a lifetime. There's the live sessions are beautiful. It's like a wellness retreat where they also walk away with so many tools. And then those those sessions in between the live sessions, we have a school year model, which is about monthly sessions on the weekends. And then we have a summer intensive cohort with, you know, for people who want to take it when the summer or the, they have the summers off. That's like Monday, Tuesday, every week for six weeks or, or Wednesday, Thursday, every week for six weeks, same curriculum, just different structure. So between after those weekends or the, the weekdays of training, we'll give them more on-demand content that they can complete. It's kind of the direct instruction. They're learning their asana poses. They're learning meditations. They're learning SEL strategies. Then we come to the live sessions and we all go deeper together. We practice teach. We're talking about the things that we learned. Um, and then they by the end of training, they will have designed and, and led a, a social emotional learning and wellness workshop for their capstone project in their community. And they will have co-taught and designed um, a yoga class for other members of the community. So they really do gain the skills to walk away and just like be ready to, to take off and do amazing work in their classrooms, their school communities and beyond. Oh, it's very, so that's very, very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. I mean, incredibly kind of just a well thought through curriculum design. And so I mean, it sounds like the, the perfect merging of your academic background and kind of you know, curriculum design, and you've been able to clearly kind of apply it to this area that you're obviously very, very passionate about. 
Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Alana, I know we're nearing time and, and just thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, final question we ask everybody, you know, what, what is in your go-to mental health toolkit? Obviously, yoga, mindfulness, et cetera. Are there other things that, you know, you use in your own kind of personal life just to stay grounded and kind of, kind of well, well-regulated? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, I run my husband, um, he has dwarfism. He's four foot two and he runs marathons, which is super cool. He has the world record for the fastest little person in the world to run a marathon. And so when he signs up for marathons, I get inspired to run alongside him. So that's like my other way of having more like aerobic physical activity. Um, I also have like, I mean, I have a one and a half year old, so I'm lifting weights all the time. <laughs> Literally, um, yeah, and, like a little, little 20, um, 20 pound deadlift, right? So, oh, totally, totally. Uh, my little Leah. Um, but so I have daily practices that I use. So, in the morning, oftentimes, if we're on point, my husband and I will wake up and we'll the first thing we'll do is say, like, What is your intention for the day? And when I mean intention, I don't mean like, What do you want to do? It's like, How do you want to show up? Who do you want to be? So, it'll be like, my intention is to be kind and loving, or my intention is to be focused and, and prepared, or my intention is to be more playful. So we always say that every day. And then that becomes like our anchor, right? We can check in with each other on it. Like, how you doing with that? You know? Um, and then at the end of the day, the last thing that we love to do is just say like, what are you grateful for? And rather than make, I mean, it doesn't always happen because sometimes I'll, you know, go into a bad habit, but I'll always come back to it. So, um, you know, rather than being on your phone, searching through Instagram, it's like, if the last thing that you do is talk about what you're grateful for, then like, that's what you're going to sleep with. And it just has made such a big impact in how I show up, how I sleep. And then also how I feel when I wake up in the morning. Um, so those are two very specific strategies that I've implemented. And then I started to do uh, this. I just recently actually signed up for a 108 day meditation challenge. Cause I was like, not doing my daily meditation practice. And when I don't do something daily, it kind of, it's just like, it goes away. It's like not a habit. So I've been doing 10 minutes of daily meditation. The second I wake up, I just press on my phone, like the 10 minute timer, I sit up on my bed and I just close my eyes and breathe basically. And that has, it's been interesting. I've just been doing that for about a month now. And I just see such a shift from like between when I do it inconsistently. And then when I do sure. it early every day, no matter what. And so I, even though I teach these things sometimes, you know, just like I'm human being, like I fall away from the practices themselves. And so I try when I notice that, like, okay, Ilana, you are off, you know, yeah, yeah, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll sign up for something or I'll commit to something that brings me back. And that's been super, super helpful. That's great. I like your, like your challenge. So, uh, uh, well, a lot of good, good stuff. You've got such a great spirit and a great energy and just, uh, what an amazing kind of, uh, institution and program of study that you build with, with breathe for change. So just appreciate you being uh, here with us today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a blast. I echo Duncan's sentiments. Thank you so much for being here and for all that you're doing in the community. Mm, thank you. 
Wow, that was such a great interview with Alana. I have to say that that interview inspired me for my uh, inspiration for the week. She discussed in her mental health toolkit about um, using gratitude before bed. I was in a really good practice for about two years. It kind of, my, my routines kind of fell apart this year. But for about two years, I was in a really good practice of, you know, uh, starting my day off with a gratitude practice, just trying to figure out three things I could be grateful for when I wake up and I've got the high cortisol amounts and the butterflies in your stomach as you look at your calendar and try to organize your day and you're thinking so many steps ahead. So that was a great time for me to say, let me just do a little gratitude practice. And then I found that when I was in that routine for those two years, things were just really, really uh, positive. My my mindset was super positive. I approached the day differently. So when she said that, I got really inspired to really get back into my routine of a gratitude practice or starting my day off with a gratitude practice. Like she said, it really does affect the way that I show up um, in my day. So how about you? What really inspired cool. you this That's week? That's good stuff. So yeah, so so for me, my... Um I, I know I work a lot of kid stuff into here, but my, my my middle daughter recently got pulled. She runs track for her high school. So she was told on Friday that she needed to uh, be uh, like participating in the long jump event on Monday, mm-hmm. despite never actually having done long jump before <laughs> in her life. So, so what inspired me was her kind of going into the weekend and saying like, hey, I got 48 hours to figure out how to like be quasi competent at the long jump. <laughs> so I went out to the track with her and we... We kind of, you know, did probably like 50 long jumps. I'm sitting there with like YouTube videos trying to break it down. And uh, so her her kind of growth mindset with respect with respect to this really inspired me. I got to tell you, I was blown away by how much like goes into the long jump. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we actually got out to the meet and they've got a bunch of kids doing triple jump, which is like a whole different, you know, animal and, and something that requires, I think, even more coordination and has even more kind of going into it. So uh, that was my uh, that was my what inspired me for the week. That's very cool. It is track and uh, field season now, huh? That means like Penn is going to be coming up in soon. You're right. It is that time of year. Nice. All right. Well, Lane, as always, great to see you again. uh, Hopefully I will be more well. Weller, is that a a word uh, the next time I see you? Feeling better. I appreciate it. So, (laughs) But uh, great to see you. Thanks to all of you who uh, uh, are loyal MyBeat listeners. We uh, appreciate you joining us and uh, we look forward to uh, you joining us for our Uh, upcoming episodes. Take care and have a great rest of the week. And thanks to all of you for the impact that you're making on the lives of students. Thank you, everybody. Bye. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider. 